Welcome to the CDC Podcast Minisode 6. If you don't know, these minisodes are a chance to introduce and highlight a bunch of games that haven't gotten criticism. Yet. Myself and a co-host will list off three such games each. They can be anything from itch.io art games to prestige level indie games all the way to AAA games that just haven't gotten their time in the spotlight. Joining me this time is critic and writer Gita Jackson. Hey, how's it going? Hi. All right, so let's get this rolling, and your first game is... Siren for Hire, which uh, is a twine game that my friend Maddie Myers wrote and programmed. It's a pretty short, story-driven game with just two branching paths about sort of magical girl freelancers. And obviously a lot of that comes from her own personal experience. She is pretty outspoken about the state of being a freelance writer, even now after she's hired by the Mary Sue. But um, I personally related to it a lot, and it does really go in depth with things that are really familiar to me about being a a visible woman in a a scene, like any kind of creative scene that requires you to, you know, do labor for money. And I just, I see people playing it, and I see people sort of talking about it, but I really want this to be something to spur conversations about the way that gender absolutely does influence the way that we perform our labor. Specifically, there's one point in the game where the the main magical girl character is talking about how she was on an all-girl team, and they were really famous and really popular. But now, as things have progressed and evolved, you know, the best spot you can get is to be one girl on a team of all men. And you can see this sort of with the visibility of the kinds of writers that are very visible in our space is that they're usually just one or two women on those those big three websites that do games writing or really any website at all that does a lot of writing on their staff. You see that they, they sort of pick one girl. And that's been my experience in a lot of different aspects of my life. You end up in a group like you're deemed to be good enough and to be successful if you have beaten all of the other women that wanted to be as successful as you. It's weird that like I feel like no one's talking like it's very on the surface, but I feel like there's a lot of meat in this game that should be talked about. It's pretty sad, which might be the thing that's holding some people off, but I don't know, it's just a play it, it's short and it's good and it's well written. And it's pretty honest about a lot of things about labor and freelancing that I think people don't want to acknowledge. I was going to say right before you clarified whether they are freelance magical girls or they're freelancers who happen to be magical girls. Oh, they're selling their their abilities as magical girls. Oh, so they are freelance magical girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, a cute, high concept premise, but it really works here. Is it just text or are there uh, illustrations to There's go along with some plugins? And I think Maddie did the music, too. Because that seems like something that would work well with an illustration. Yeah, and she drew all the drawings, and they're all really cute. The little cover drawing on her HEO page is this magical girl with her back to you sitting at a bar. Which <laughs> is really, that's an experience that I've had of just doing a lot of work and then immediately needing to go to a dive and just sit down for a little bit. That's one of the recurring locations in the game, too. It really helps me. Her drawings really helped me sort of frame the world that these people were inhabiting. There's some cool, like, cyberpunky or sort of, like, urban fantasy elements to it as well in the writing that 
she goes into sort of like how these girls get their powers and how it doesn't always work and people who don't it doesn't work out for them get really bitter and angry and it's uh it's, I don't know good it's moving I liked it she is also my friend but I have a thing where if I don't like something my friend has done I just never mention it and I just want to shout about this game for the mountaintop oh uh, we we don't care <laughs> Watch that about here. Just yell. Just say it. Doesn't matter. It's real good. You <laughs> play it. <laughs> All right. Going on to my first game is because I'm stuck in Android Hell, that I generally have to wait over a year for anything, all the iOS games that I want to play to finally come over, if at all. So a few weeks ago, they finally got last year's framed. Oh, nice. And I heard about it. Didn't know a whole lot about it beyond the basic premise that you are given a scene formed in comic book panels and then you have to reorder them before the scene can play out properly and you're this shadowy guy and later a shadowy woman who are trying to escape shadowy people for undescribed reasons. And it's an interesting puzzle game in that respect and I managed to play it all in an afternoon. It has this just interesting concept of time because it it will replay similar looking scenes across rooftops, down fire escapes and around windowed balconies. But because certain elements change, it means that you can't walk along this ledge like you did before and you have to reorder the things. So it's able to replay scenes that way. But at the same time, it will it's kind of hard to explain without like just seeing it, because the whole thing is textless, and the story plays out pretty much like a silent film, and there's a basic art to it, but you don't have details. But about two-thirds of the way through, you get to the end, one guy is shot, he's dying in an alley, The uh, another character, I think it's the woman, I'm not sure, takes the briefcase and walks off, and then as he's thinking through these one last puzzle, you're because one of the ways you're able to do it is just take one panel and put it behind another so things will happen in a different order. A gunshot happens and he trip he runs away. So he a gunshot happens and he runs away, except the order it happens means he got shot. You switch that around, he's run away, gets out of there before the gun fires and the bullet misses him. This time it takes a collage of all the events that have just happened all the scenes and you get to reverse them with a with a different collage of events that just happened and it changes the entire story. Wow. So it has this temporal thing going on by how we tell stories and the order of which we choose events and the causality going on there. And given that it was like up for awards for like best mobile game of last year and I knew nothing about it, I feel like that's a major oversight that seems to happen a lot with these like these non free to play exploitation mobile games. Yeah, I was just thinking when you were describing that that's pretty impressive narrative design for an industry that gets a lot of flack for not necess- necessarily having very good writing in it very often. That sounds really fascinating. I knew that that game existed also, but I, again, didn't really know anything about it beyond the basic mechanic, which sounded cool, but sort of like, was it cool enough for me to play this game on my phone? Was my question that I was asking myself? 
yeah, it's just something I when it got announced, oh, I can finally play it, I can check it out, and this and it it, it offered surprises, which I'm actually grateful for. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like fun thing to play and a fun thing to to write about how it tells a story by how it tells a narrative by allowing you to control the narrative. And what it decides to ultimately do with it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And your second game is? My second game is We Know the Devil, made by AVB and Mia Schwartz. And they had someone else work on the music, and I always forget his name. It's Alex something, but the music's really good, so he's important also. Okay, I have seen this memified over Twitter, and I know nothing about it. What is it? It is a short visual novel where the main sort of uh, story mechanic is you're in a group of three friends, and you kind of have to choose two friends to, you know, learn about them, and inevitably you'll be excluding a third. The larger story concept is that they're at some sort of summer camp for, they say, for bad kids, and they all are trying to sort of figure themselves out in that sort of teenage way you do where you, you know what you don't like about yourself, but you don't know why you don't like it, and... It's sort of vaguely religious-themed, so when you, these three kids, they're, they're told by their, like, camp captain that they have to go hang out in this weird cabin overnight to meet the devil, possibly. And they're all convinced the devil is going to be one of them, like, it'll inhabit their body. Um, and it, the character that you exclude the most during your playthrough will end up being inhabited by the devil. So you're forced to play the game a bunch of times in order to learn about each character, to understand why their specific insecurities allowed them to be possessed by the devil. And then it gives you a secret, you know, a fourth ending where it's, I don't want to spoil it at all because it's just like one of, it's one of the best written games I've ever played. That's like not really an exaggeration. I think most games have pretty bad writing. But this is a very compelling and touching story. And I, it's very evocative when you get that final ending, what it's trying to say about just sort of accepting yourself as you are and not thinking you need to be changed and not thinking you need that anything's actually wrong with you at the end of the day. That people tell you that there's things that are wrong with you, but there isn't actually. There is also like a, a pretty subtle recognizable to trans people as I've seen like on my Twitter like, my Twitter timeline a narrative about accepting yourself as you are is sort of evocative for them but I think I like super over identified with one of the characters Neptune about the way that she's so mad at her friends for not liking themselves when she thinks that they're way better people than she is she's always kind of yelling at them and making fun of them because she thinks that it's sort of ridiculous that they hate themselves because she's clearly like the worst one and they should be, they should be full of so much more self-love than she is. It's like a kind of game that I think if games had like actual mainstream credibility and visibility, the kind of game that would end up in like nylon magazine or something or like 17 or like they'd be talking about it on the CW. It's so specific about a very common human experience and it really taps into it really well. And then at the end of the day, it has the audacity to make you feel good about yourself. And, uh, you know, I, my writing's like basically for teenage girls. If you look at like what I do is a lot of fashion stuff. So 
I'd like to see it written more, just written about more because I, I think it needs to find the audience that it really needs. Like as playing this as an adult is like really good, but I can't imagine playing this game when I was 16. Like it completely changed my world. I'm hearing you talk about it and it's like a lot of character dynamics as the main focal point outside of like a very few easily nameable, uh, of like a, sources that doesn't seem to be like a main focus of the medium because it's very well nodding the medium itself is not inclined towards that direction yeah i mean i in the genre that this game is in of the visual novel it does focus on that a lot more but even in most visual novels it's more about you as a singular main character getting to know a variety of different people but here in the narrative you enter an established group of friends and you have to sort of understand the weird kind of uneven relationships that they have with each other within an already established group. The character you're playing, is it always the same or, or is in within different playthroughs, you're a different person within the one of the characters within this group of friends? It's like you're playing one character and more that you're playing a pair of two characters. So you're given prompts during certain situations, the sort of like, do you want to watch this scene as this character and this character, or do you want to watch it as this character and this other character? So it's less about who you're playing as and more about who you're leaving out. Neat little mechanic and something that's like familiar to me as sort of a member of those groups of friends where everyone's sort of friends with each other, but you're always kind of closer to one friend than the other. Okay, moving right along. My second game is... For those who know me, it's going to be no surprise. I have at least one of these per minisode. It's a point-and-click adventure game. The latest offering from Wajidai Games is called Techno Babylon. I've actually heard of this, but I don't know anything about it. Uh, it I try to think the simplest way to explain it, because it's a complex game that introduces itself over time, to acclimate it. It is a cyberpunk game, but it's not the stereotypical cyberpunk game. It's like there's there's a conspiracy, but then there but it's like not all encompassing. It's it's basically an investigative mystery that just happens to take place in a futuristic world or at least on an earth that is in the future where I'm just going to give off a bunch of details to try and give the texture and and let the and just try and build it that way cuz you play as three different characters throughout the game. You play as the, the I guess, the hard-nosed white cop. He's like, he's been on the force for years and years. His wife died when he's early, and he's got, and he's got that hard-boiled thing, but he's got a heart of gold. Then you play as this orphan girl who is, who looks Indian, and it's later confirmed, yes, yeah, she is half Indian, who's living off of the state because there is overpopulation and there is almost no government control, but thanks to technology, she can. it's like minimal effort to keep these hundreds and thousands of people living in abject poverty alive. And she has become addicted to the equivalent of the internet, except you literally put your consciousness, it has that, that going for it, into this digital realm. Huh. And she is of that, that generation... And yes, I love how they actually do play it off as a generational divide. Because this takes place decades into the future, the old cranky man is actually younger than I am, given when he was born. 
and you don't understand old man to someone who at the moment is about 12, given the year this takes place in, which I just find that is a very interesting dynamic because this is someone who grew up with the internet. But as things grow across, there is always going to be this difference. Anyway, her apartment is blown up for reasons at the moment unknown. And of course, it has to get investigated. And of course, there is a serial killer who's stealing the brains of people via electronic download and then killing the bodies to hide the evidence and so on and so forth. And the third character who only you only play near the end is the guy's partner who is revealed to be a trans woman halfway through, and you just didn't know because she only revealed it to you if you're more like you open up to her yourself. And she is a very good investigator who decided to err more on the tech side rather than the hit the pavement, I'm looking at, I'm doing investigation the old-fashioned way like the guy does. Eventually it comes into this conspiracy of trying to figure out why this I guess you could call him a serial killer, but he has a purpose behind every target of his in a manner to get information to take down the the network that eventually runs the city. And it isn't until about halfway through that I realized this futuristic city of libertarianistic utopia is in Somalia. And you actually, and one of the scenes in the game is actually stopping a bioterrorist, someone who was literally born and as a baby was injected with this, was, his bone marrow was taken out and they put nitroglycerin in and he was bo- literally born as a suicide bomber from the theocratic dictatorship of Texas. <laughs> and, and you also have to deal with a guy who gets who gets a, you know how you like get viruses in your computer? Well, this guy got a virus in his brain that was trying to overwrite his motor controls and force him to walk to Greater Han, a.k.a. Northern China, to go work in the communist machine factories. And it it literally overwriting him with ideology. And And he got stuck, and thankfully his internal firewall came up and it stuck him in a loop. So he looks like, on the outside a person who is just comatose. But inside, he's trying to fight off a virus, and one of the puzzles is actually helping him get his firewall to finally function properly. So it's in this world of of like interesting ideas, sci-fi ideas, connecting with these interesting characters and their situation. And But to me, the best part is how it ends and like the the culmination of all these various details and what it was all about. Because the theme I'm just going to is about is basically about teaching and what you grow up learning, like your environment will dictate the person that you will become rather than anything else, because the conspiracy dictated the growth of a living AI that runs this city-state. And that conspiracy, we later find, did in fact influence how the AI itself grew up to understand the world. And you have that as a parallel with the orphan girl who is on the run from someone trying to kill her and having to figure out why, especially since she understands herself to be a nobody. Hmm. 
And that is just a bunch of elements that I can remember from this game because I'm still not sure of how to properly explain it all. Well, it sounds fascinating in the kind of writing and the kind of world that I'm really interested in inhabiting for a little bit. So you've sold me. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is is that it is a more standard point-and-click adventure game. It's well-designed for the most part, but if you're not used to the genre, you're going to be going for a walkthrough very quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's my big problem with point-and-click adventure games, is that I think a lot of them are interesting, and then I think the experience of playing them is not always as fun as I want it to be, or at least as engaging as I want it to be. I'm trying to use the word fun less when I describe as a, like a qualitative statement. Well, especially when you're trying to play it for the story, the narrative, and the world, you end up losing a sense of narrative flow when you break when a puzzle gets in the way. Even just for a little while, it can break that. I almost said immersion. It's not immersion, but it it's not flow either. Even though it feels like it, it's like a progress, like a narrative progression of pacing. Yeah, that gets lost. Yeah, that's the big problem I think with how a lot of point-and-click adventure game structure their story is that it's punishing you for but by withholding more narrative while you're engaged with the narrative by putting a puzzle in front of the rest of the story, which I don't necessarily think is always bad, but I think sometimes it does interrupt the progression of the narrative, and sometimes it makes me lose interest in a story that I was really interested in. Then, of course, there that also I have to just mention that it's different for everyone. Like there was a previous adventure game I got through in about seven hours with almost nonstop progression. I handed over to someone else and they're stuck in the first 20 minutes. Oh, absolutely. That happens even in like more mainstream game design stuff. I find sometimes I can tell the game wants me to do something specific. And I know that it's been play tested a bunch of times and everyone else that played this game definitely knows what to do. And I just have no clue where like this particular item is supposed to be or which branching path I'm supposed to go down or which character I'm supposed to talk to or even what series of buttons I'm supposed to press in order to do the specific move I'm supposed to do. And it gets, gets very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> I think, though, just due to the way that point-and-click adventure games are designed, it's way more visible when, like, you know that you're completely fucking lost. <laughs> the the incident I'm thinking of was on the uh, Indie Mega Booth podcast when they talked about this game, and one of the people couldn't get out of the first room. Like, they just couldn't figure out how to get out of the room. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's... That is something that I think is inherent to the medium that we're going to, is going to be really difficult to like, quote unquote, fix, where the whole history of the medium is built upon like, stopping you from being able to get to the next part if you can't figure out how to do the thing. And it's, that I think is like the true difference between games and many other mediums is that in a book, I can always turn the page. A movie, a progression of time is inevitable. In a game, if I can't figure out how to do the thing, then I can't complete the story. But unfortunately, because of the various elements that games add, like the sense of presence, the sense of interactivity being a connection towards action, you can't remove it either because it adds something different. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a fine line to to like sort of watch people tread in the future. I think because. Games, I, people say games are mainstream now, and I think in some ways they are, in some ways they aren't. I think if games were mainstream, then you wouldn't be doing this podcast about things that 
are popular even. Like, we know the devil's really popular, but just no one's writing about it. The idea that games are mainstream, that opens up a whole other can of worms that I actually have numbers for, but I'm not going to get into that okay, right now. Okay, let's save that for another conversation. <laughs> Honestly, I could go on and on about the various pros and cons and problems with point-and-click adventure games from their classic counterparts to their modern-day iterations, but that that's a different discussion for a different podcast. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, I promise myself. So... Your third game. Well, I bought a PS4 for work, which was a depressing thing to do. <laughs> Spend $400 and know that the piece that I was going to be doing before getting that PS4 was going to be not even barely cover the cost of buying it. But, you know, such is life. I decided I needed to have a game other than Mad Max, which is what I'm going to be doing a video essay on. And I, I went to the store and I realized, I remembered... A lot of people talking about the game Grow Home, but I had sort of never really read anything about the game itself other than this game exists and it's good. And the game is really good, but it also is very transparently trying to say something, which is, makes it really funny to me that I haven't seen any meaningful criticism of the game at all. Because the game very outwardly is telling a story about the beauty and power of nature and sort of protect, protecting and encouraging nature to to like thrive and live. It's an environmentalist message. It's like not very difficult to figure out. But I, I think because the game also feels so good to play, people have been completely overlooking that other part of the, the thing that's in front of them, which is like you are repopulating a dead world. <laughs> like that's literally what you're doing as a robot is bringing life back to something that's totally dead. And it just became very visible to me after, you know, sitting with the game for like maybe, I don't know, like half an hour, 45 minutes, that uh, it's kind of lacking if we don't at least get one essay about this very obvious and clear and sort of concise, simple message that the game's trying to convey. Like, yeah, the game is super fun. Like, I've watched Nick Robinson from Polygon do streams of Grow Home and then immediately wanted to, like, get my hands on the controller and play it. And it was just sort of like, just the climbing in the game feels very good. And the mechanic where you make these large vines grow, just like you feel like a sort of childlike thrill when you make it work right. But um, it manages to say a lot about how the developers feel about nature without actually having any dialogue at all. And I'd like to see, you know, just like one, just like one essay about that, about how it builds this world, puts a lot of detail in it. And it's all very clear and concise, but it doesn't beat you over the head with anything. Is the title just that, or is it a pun on Gone Home <laughs> that I'm missing? I think it's just that, although... It, it's hard not to see it. Well, you know how like, games do this thing where like, if a type of game is popular, people will sort of make it into a genre, like Metroidvania, you know? The also ran. Yeah, exactly. And there is like a, it is sort of related to what people call walking simulators in that a lot of the game is walking around, looking at things, exploring, you know, collecting artifacts, that kind of stuff. You use this little um, scanner, you put like native flora and fauna into it and it'll give you like a little like box of information on it. Um, so it is sort of related to the idea of like you're here just to observe and to look at things and then the narrative will become clear as you observe and look at things. But I'm not even sure if that was like present in the mind of the developers 
it's so different in the way it plays, but like so similar in like what it wants the player to do. You have anything else to say on it? No, I just like I don't know. It's frustrating to see. I don't have a PS4, so I haven't touched it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a PS4 by choice. <laughs> it's fun. I think if you have a friend that has a PS4 in this game, you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But it is frustrating to see people were so interested in the development cycle of this game. And it is really interesting to the economics of how this game came to exist. But that sometimes happens with really popular indie games or surprise hits sleeper hits like this where discussion, everything but the game is discussed. And it's sort of like, it's a pretty potent example of how we're still stuck in the mindset that games are products and pieces of software rather than pieces of art or entertainment that people put a lot of work into, like actual human beings. I do remember a big talking point about this is that we didn't know anything. We never heard of it until they just said, oh, by the way, we have a new game that just launched today. Yeah. And I mean, that is really interesting and cool that I could just do that. But also there's this game, you know? <laughs> yeah. And just to finish this out, my third game is called Unwind. And I will admit the story of me trying to find this game again, because I found it on Itch.io several months back. And I thought, oh, that's neat. I'll remember this for later. And then several months later, it says, what was that game called again on Itch.io? It says, oh, my God, Itch.io's search engine is terrible. So there, there is actually quite a lengthy story of me actually refinding this game, which to me is somewhat a little bit more interesting than the game itself, because the thing, it is an arcade action game in the vein of Super Hexagon, except instead of just staying in the center, you, you sort of stay off one of the edges, and a path kind of appears as it goes left, right, made of... It's kind of hard to describe properly. They're blocky, it's blocky paths, but they create these spirals with jagged edges instead of like a smooth spiral because they're made out of squares. And you have to maneuver the cursor back and forth, left and right, just to avoid these things. To You have to stay in the black, avoid the sides, and you see how long you can get. It's very simple, very easy. The thing is that after a while... You're staring at this one point of the screen, the one cursor within this, and you're moving the spirals, and then outside of that is this more psychedelic colors, and every time I play it, my eyes start to fuzz out, and it just starts to come at you, and it's around this time when I usually end up hitting the side, because the very game that you're trying to pay very close attention to so you don't mess up is in doing so, making you lose focus based on its presentation. And a lot of people managed to say a lot of words about Super Hexagon, so I thought, why not this? Yeah, that seems like an interesting way that games can actually screw with you, like, physically without having to do, like, virtual reality stuff. You know, like, every talk, people talk about, yeah, like, Super Hexagon as this game where you get into some sort of, like, fugue state where you're kind of just playing just like by road action but uh that sounds really terrifying what you've described in that game <laughs> it's not terrifying because it and there's like i guess i wouldn't say techno because it doesn't have the aggressive thumping that i associate techno with but i wouldn't know what else to call, call it either it's 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 like super hexagon music that sort of upbeat bouncy electronica with with like with just pure sounds, 
and the colors are are sort of soft. They're they're paisleys of blues, purples, and greens faded into white. So it kind of feels like it's trying to represent psychedelia, maybe. Or it could just be an experiment, and this is what the guy threw together. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about criticism is that you don't have to consider the author's intent a lot of the time. So you could, that sounds like there's like a thousand essays you could write about, about this game. Well, I'm I'm sure there's a thousand essays somebody could write about this game. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, the, the bonus part of this is it'll now be in the show notes, so I won't have, I won't ever lose the link to it again. Fantastic. <laughs> And in fact, that's true of all the games that we've discussed here. You can find them in the show notes, look at them, buy them, play them, hopefully, please write about them, and you can, and please do so with all the previous episodes. If you like this podcast and all our other projects at Critical Distance, please consider supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash critical distance. I hope that's the link because that's what I remembered. And don't forget to, if you can, please rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Gita Jackson, for showing up and bothering to entertain me with your presence and this weird idea that we decided to keep doing. Hey, no problem. I'm always here to support weird ideas, but people don't know why they do it. <laughs> it was nice talking to you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Likewise.